2: Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
3: Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast. I'm Alison Perry, and you're listening to episode 30. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, First of all there has been an unintentional break in episodes thanks to me being in the early stages of pregnancy and suffering from morning sickness so huge apologies but I'm back Uh, and my guest today rather aptly is Siobhan Miller founder of the Positive Birth Company. Now Siobhan is a mum of three and she runs hypnobirthing classes uh, but she's also recently launched a whole new way of accessing hypnobirthing with her digital pack which she talks about during our chat and she explains that it's her way of making hypnobirthing more affordable and accessible to more people. We also chat about what makes a positive birth, Siobhan shares her own birth stories and she explains what led her to train as a hypnobirthing teacher. Uh, We talk quite a bit about gentle caesareans, which I didn't even know was a thing, but I urge you to go and search on YouTube because the videos are incredible. Uh, And we also cover the role of a birth partner, which I have to admit, I learned a thing or two there. And to be honest, I learned loads from our chat, so hopefully you will too. Welcome, Siobhan, to the podcast. Hello. Um, So you're a mum of three boys and you're a hypnobirthing expert and founder of the Positive Birth Company. Uh, Do you want to start by telling anyone who's listening who doesn't know what a positive birth is? Do you want to explain what a positive birth
1: is? Sure. So um, a positive birth I I consider to be a birth where the mum feels um, respected. She comes out of it feeling that it was an empowering experience, that she got to meet her baby in the way that she felt was best. So. There not a particular birth that's a positive birth it's not about um i know some people associate hypnobirthing with kind of like whale music and water births and home births and that's all wonderful and i'm a huge advocate of natural birth but also that's not right for everybody so um, you can have an amazingly empowering and positive experience giving birth in a theater you know by cesarean section or you can have an amazing positive induction but you know birth by induction um That's really interesting. Sorry to
3: interrupt you. But I I, I totally wasn't expecting that answer.
1: I thought you were going to say it is totally natural. It's when you, yeah, when you're able to... That's unrealistic. I think it's unrealistic. You know, that's not going to be right for everybody. So I think the having the birth that's right for you and your baby... And that being a positive experience, that's the thing that I'm all about. I want everybody to have a positive experience because the mechanics of how the baby's born, obviously I I want to say matter little, but of course they matter. You know, people care about how their baby's born. I don't want to be dismissive, but... The mechanics matter little long term. I think it's it's more the feelings, the, you know, the psychological effect of that birth that long term can cause problems, or the opposite can make you feel really good when you think about it. Yeah. And so, I'm really interested in you know maternal mental health, and I think that um, having a positive experience has huge benefits long term, whereas having a traumatic birth has obviously you know long, can have long term negative consequences so it really matters I think how the woman feels in the birth experience and then in the postnatal period and I do believe you can have a positive birth however you give birth so that's
3: brilliant I'm so I'm just really chuffed to have you on the podcast
1: I'm absolutely honoured to be here you know you know when you when you asked me I mean I literally replied like yes
3: <laughs> yes I'd love to I just think it's such a brilliant thing to talk about and I think that on the podcast we're kind of about 30-ish episodes in and I feel like we've talked so much about um, all aspects of being a parent, being a mum, and we haven't really focused much on being pregnant or giving birth. I mean, I spoke a little bit with Clemmie Hooper back you know, in the early yeah. days about, about it, um, but I, I'm just really keen to kind of pick your brain. and
1: um... Yeah, I love it's my favourite topic, it's my favourite subject to talk about, and I, I was listening to some of your podcasts the other day and I can't remember um, who was saying it, but they said a comment about um, how... Uh, you know birth is really just the beginning Mm -hmm. and that's so true like birth is just the beginning of you know this huge journey probably for the rest of your life being a mum um but it's not a small part of that journey it might be the beginning of it but birth is such a huge monumental event isn't it it's it's really life-changing so
3: it's always it's always um and You so you've got three boys and the I've oldest got three is eleven. Boys.
1: Eleven, yeah. Um,
3: and am I right in saying that you didn't have a positive birth with him?
1: No, I wouldn't call that a very positive birth. No. Um, so I was just twenty-one when when I was having him. I was twenty when I was pregnant. Um, so that was that was not on the on the life plan. Um, I was at uni. I was in my second year of uni doing English and drama. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to carry on. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to have the baby. It's not going to be a problem. Um, so much so I could talk about Oshin, giving birth to Oshin forever, but um, it was obviously huge. It was a huge deal. It's a huge deal whenever you have a baby. It's a huge deal when you're 20 and you're at uni and you've got no idea what you're doing with your life. But... Um, I um, went to the antenatal classes that were put on by the hospital. They were like free antenatal classes, I think probably similar to like an NCT style thing. I met a really nice group of women um, and that was really good. And I definitely did want a natural birth, um, so I wasn't completely naive. And I actually found my birth plan recently. When it was Oshin's birthday, I got out my baby book and in it I had put like folded up my handwritten birth plan. And this was like I wrote this 12 years, you know, like 11 and a half, 12 years ago and it was it was really really interesting to read so a lot of the things I still would want now like a lot of the things were the same and I was talking about wanting to use my breathing and I was talking about wanting to be in a good upright position but some of the things that I'd written I was like why did I think that Mm. like one of the things that I had written was that I'd like to use a birth pool but I wouldn't like to give birth in the birth pool I'd like to go on the back uh, on my on my back sorry in the bed right like I actually had written that was like my my preferred option why do you think that was why, you know why I think that was because obviously now that seems so alien to yeah. me because I'm a huge huge advocate of getting upright getting gravity on your side the fact that being on your back will slow progress down that it's you know more difficult and more likely to need intervention so I was first of all, I was like thinking, why did I write that and I and I think I know because every time you see a woman give birth on tv yeah. on their back yeah. on a bed yeah. and there's this whole kind of conditioning now that I don't feel like I've moved away from that, but that I still recognise as existing, conditioning that you think that's the norm. Mm-hmm. That's the norm to give birth on your back in a bed. And that's like a dignified way almost to give birth. Yeah. Like, you know, that's kind of like you maybe have a blanket over your legs so like nobody sees <laughs> and and I guess at, at twenty, when I was writing that birth plan, that's what I thought that I'd like to be in the bed, you know, probably covered up so nobody saw anything. And that that would be a good position. I probably, I can't quite remember because it's so long ago, but I probably thought that being naked on all fours would have been embarrassing yeah. and I would have felt inhibited. Naturally, and yeah, But yeah. now, obviously, I think that's a fantastic position to give birth in. But back then, I probably thought I didn't want to be in that position. So um, it was interesting reading that birth plan. So I went into that birth wanting a natural birth. But however, um, when I was eight days past my due date, I was offered an induction just at a routine a checkup. Um so I wasn't even that far past my due date, but I accepted this induction and said, obviously agreed to it. Um, I honestly thought that meant I was just going to get to meet my baby sooner. Mm. I genuinely thought that an induction just meant they were going to artificially start my labour. So the same labour would happen, but this time it meant I got to meet my baby today. And it was a Wednesday and I called all my friends and family that morning So I'm having my baby today. So convinced was I that I was having my baby today that like my dad and my brother came up to Bristol, where I was living, you know, to meet this baby that I said I was having, mm. but obviously inductions don't always work out like that. So two days later, <laughs> um, I had had the pessary, I'd had the drip, I'd had my waters broken, I'd had every intervention going. They kept turning the drip up to make the contractions or surges, um, you know, stronger, but then kept turning it down because he kept going into distress. They took blood from his head whilst he was still inside, oh, you know, to check the oxygen levels, and then. They also told me not to eat or drink because it was likely to end in a caesarean anyway. So I was so tired and I was so depleted and um, he was in distress. So finally I was taken down to theatre for a caesarean. So I had to um, sign this consent form for a caesarean. This was like Friday morning now. And then when I got to theatre, there was um, an obstetrician uh, there and she examined me and she said that I was fully dilated. So they were going to uh, turn his head with forceps and then give me the opportunity to push. Mm so they turned his head with forceps I remember they told me to push obviously I couldn't feel anything because they topped up my epidural so high that it was like up to my neck so I literally couldn't feel anything Um, and they said push and at first I did like a push and I remember feeling like Feeling like I was pushing for my neck, and then I remembered, no, you're meant to push like you're doing a poo. So I was like trying to imagine what it would be like to push like lower down. And then he he was born. He was he he was born really quickly. Probably I pushed him out quickly because I couldn't feel anything, so like there was no discomfort at all.
3: My goodness, that all sounds so.
1: It was quite stressful. It was it was stressful because actually when I was taken to theatre, I was panicking so much, I was hyperventilating, and so my heart rate was really really high, and his kept falling and i could see his heart rate on the monitor the numbers falling mm. so i could see the numbers falling in front of my eyes like so low and i was like oh my god i'm going to lose my baby here which was causing me to panic and they said they couldn't because uh, at this point they were going to do a cesarean when i was first taken down they said they can't they need to stabilize me So they were trying to get me to calm down whilst i was just watching his heart rate on a monitor fall i i really felt scared in that, that moment really scared um so, that, yeah, that and that was his birth. And then afterwards, um, after he was born, I wasn't able to hold him because I was being sick and I was shaking and, you know, just, I guess, the, the whole ordeal.
3: So was that your body just reacting?
1: Reacting, you? I guess. I'd had, like, every drug maybe. I don't know whether it was a reaction or well, everything i have been through, I suppose, mm. just shaking, I couldn't hold him. And so then afterwards I was taken into recovery and they put him on my chest, so I have one picture from that moment. I was just absolutely exhausted. And then about half an hour later they said, oh, you know, um, your partner can go home now because you're going up to ward and it's not visiting hours. Mm. So then I was oh. just wheeled up to this ward. That's the worst <laughs> um, thing ever, isn't it? Just like on my own, so young, with this newborn baby. Oh. I hadn't slept in days or eaten and I was just on my own on this ward and... Um, it was that point that I realised I had a, had a catheter fitted. I didn't even realise when that had happened. Oh. I just saw it over the side of the Shut bed, up and that was there. yeah, that was a shock. I was like, oh. when did that happen? Oh, so yeah, I was left kind of quite shell shocked, I suppose, by the whole experience. That
3: doesn't sound like a positive birth. It really um,
1: but but very weirdly is that afterwards somebody came round to ask if I needed follow up counselling, and they called it a traumatic birth. Mm. And that's the first time that I had actually thought that it was quite a bad birth. You yeah. know, I. I guess because, again, TV is responsible for so much that all we see are these kind of dramatic births, even if you just tune into one born every minute, you know, you see this. I guess I kind of thought that was the way it was, that was normal still. I still kind of thought that was normal, that that was how birth was. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, um,
3: I had my daughter nearly eight years ago, and for years I described that experience as being normal. Did you have a normal natural birth? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I yeah, don't... the baby came out your vagina, so that's a good birth. <laughs> yeah, and it's only really,
3: um, I would say, in the last couple of years that I've unpicked it a bit and thought, actually, no, that really wasn't a normal birth. And yeah. I had a catheter as well, yeah. and it was, I had it for two weeks. And um, I also, my, my whole body came out in a rash for about a week wow. after giving birth. And somebody I was speaking to a couple of years ago was like, you realise that was probably your reaction to like the catheter yeah. and everything you've been Yay. through. And just yeah. the experience, yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, it kind of wasn't really a normal birth, was yeah. it?
1: <laughs> but you think it is because that's all you hear are these kind of horrible stories. It's what you see on TV. It's you know I heard it within like within the antenatal group that I was part of. Yeah. So it just seemed so every day that people were having this level of intervention that I thought, oh, so what happened wasn't wasn't bad. That was just like normal. That was what birth's like. You know, birth is that's what it's going to be like. I was I didn't know any different and so but what I what I think happened from that birth is although I didn't feel like I thought it was traumatic so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I was traumatized afterwards for a long time because I I just sort of wrote it off as that was what yeah. birth was like but I was incredibly anxious an incredibly anxious parent and I think that um, obviously first time round you're going to be more anxious probably Um, but also I think just the birth was so scary you know I thought he was going to die I thought I was going to lose my baby so the whole time afterwards I was so petrified that this small child that I had now had responsibility for was just going to stop breathing so I used to do things that I now look back and think that's mad I used to set my alarm like in 10 minute periods throughout the night to go and check that he was still breathing oh so even when he slept people were like oh he's got such a good sleeper you know and I'm like yeah but I don't sleep ten, 10 minute periods I would like go and check just check that his chest was rising and then I got one of those mats that you put underneath the thing that alarms if the yeah. baby doesn't set I was, you know, neurotic, yeah. I think, with anxiety that he would just stop. And the amount of times that sometimes I went into the room and I thought that he had to stop breathing. So I'd, like, grab him, you know, and then he'd be obviously awake and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> just like the kind of fear. But, that sounds um, horrible. It's
3: like you were properly gripped with anxiety. But I
1: do, th- and I didn't speak to anybody about that. And um, I look back and I think that's got to be because of the birth. I mm. feel like that's because of what happened was scary that i came I started that experience from a place of being very frightened yeah um but that obviously is not <laughs> stress that is not how birth has yes. to be that is that is not normal that is not normal that is not what we should be aspiring to. Uh, yeah and it does not have to be like that at so, all so
3: when it comes to your second birth yes your yeah. son what made you decide to try hypnobirthing with so, him
1: so I don't know what what it was whether it was like one th- I can't remember there being like one pivotal moment where I like oh I've learned about this thing that I've got to do I just think I'd seen stuff on Instagram seen stuff on social media like red bits here and there um I was doing a psychology master's at the time because I actually had left my job in digital marketing to go back to uni to do this psychology master's because I wanted to train to become a kind of counsellor or therapist. I wasn't quite sure exactly what what it would be, like, the end goal, but I knew that I wanted to work with adults and in some kind of therapeutic capacity. So I also... um, did things like i got a copy of my birth notes which anybody can do you can apply to get a photocopy of your birth notes even if it's many many years ago from a hospital that you gave birth at and you just pay photocopying so i got a copy of my hospital notes and just going through that was really quite cathartic i felt um went on the hypnobirthing course uh, with james my partner and it was just it was it was amazing it was brilliant it all made complete sense it didn't just change the way I felt about my upcoming birth, but it also um, like helped me understand what had happened previously, and that was hugely valuable because I felt like I understood why things had unfolded the way they had, and I felt confident that it wouldn't go like that again because I would do things differently. Mm. So that was really brilliant. So even if the second birth didn't pan out the way I wanted it to I felt that having done the course just really helped me kind of put to rest what had happened previously
3: yeah do you think a lot of it is about having that confidence and knowledge when you're in that situation so when you've got a midwife or a health professional saying to you we want to proceed like
1: this. Yeah, feeling confident enough to be able to ask the questions and not get rushed into things. I call it the conveyor belt of care. You know, you go through the hospital doors and we're so conditioned as well to kind of respect authority. Mm. So I feel like women just kind of walk through the hospital doors, relinquish all personal responsibility over their bodies, their birth, their baby, and just think I'm going to place all my trust in the hands of these professionals.
3: Well, you do, because they've trained. Right, you're like, they they know know best,
1: they know best, but you are the only person that can feel what's happening in your body so actually you know best even if you've never done it before you know and so you know your body you, you know your body better than anyone else so and then then i think you kind of go through this conveyor belt where uh you know midwives doctors everybody wants to provide care but you're dealt with because they're so stretched yeah. because they're so stretched there's so few resources you're just on that conveyor belt this is what we do and you kind of go through that process and Um, I really encourage people to kind of step off that conveyor belt and hold on to personal responsibility for their birth and feel confident to ask questions. Understand that they need to give informed consent for any procedure. So that's really important. Informed, make sure you're informed, ask Mm -hmm. the right questions. So I think that can really help because even if you ask the questions and then you go with what's being recommended, that at least you've come to that decision yourself. That's empowering. So even if somebody says, we want to now... You know, use forceps and you're thinking I didn't want forceps but if you ask the questions and then you understand why they're suggesting that and you agree that that would be the best course of action, you're going to be happier with that outcome yeah. than if you felt like somebody just did that, you don't know why they did that and you didn't like it and you're going to feel really disempowered and upset about that. Oh, well, that's really hard though, isn't it? Because when you're in that situation... It's really hard. ...and around you. And it can happen quickly. And I think that's why birth partners are hugely important. And I think, um, you know, I really recommend when people come on, on a course or um, I've got a d- digital pack now as well. <laughs> a little plug for my digital pack. I don't mean to plug it. I'm just saying uh, I really encourage people, however they're doing the course, whether it's online, whether it's offline, to do it with their birth partners because they actually play a huge Role in the birth. And I think a lot of people think well, isn't hypnobirthing more for the mum because it's the mum that's giving birth? But I honestly think if only one party can do it, it's actually better for the dad to come on the course because mums really when you're in labour they just need to focus on the breathing I think that's really important like when you're in labour and you're having three you know surges or contractions every 10 minutes and they're nice and strong and they're lasting a minute you don't have time to kind of engage with what's going on around you and think and ask questions that's all going to be down to um, the birth partner now it might not always be the dad of course it could be anybody but that the birth partner understands what's happening, yeah. that they feel empowered to ask the questions, that they know what questions to ask, that they can get all the information that's needed to help mum make the decision, that they make sure they are advocating for mum, making sure her birth preferences are being respected. You know, it's a huge role, and of course, supporting her through every single surge. So. That's really interesting
3: because I it's still, even though I've been through it, still think of a birth partner as kind of just being there like to a, rub your back. a passive role, yeah. Hold your hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, be shouted at when, yeah. you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're feeling <laughs> contractions. Yeah. Um, but that's really interesting. So
1: I think that... It's being a much more pivotal a, role. A really big role, a really, really big role. And so, like, when I go through it, when I kind of sum up, I'm like, oh, and you know, when I'm teaching, like, so mums, just go home, practice the breathing, focus on that. That's, like, you know, your main job. But birth partners, like, this is your list mm-hmm. and it's really extensive. And so I think that when you've got a birth partner involved, if you were in that situation where things were changing very quickly and people were asking questions and you, you felt that like if you if you knew that you had somebody else there to ask the questions yeah. for you, you, and relax you could relax like that, yeah. and you could trust that they had your back, essentially, yeah. that they were going to um, manage that situation. And of course, your the mother is always the one that has to give the consent, right. but... To be able to get all, the, to be able to think clearly, to ask the questions, to get all the information, so that you've you can make an informed decision. That's difficult to do when you're in established labour. Yeah. So your birth partner can ask the questions, get the information, and then relay it to you gently and calmly between surges, so you have the full picture and then can either consent or or decline.
3: I love this because we go through so much as it is. Like I really feel yeah. like you know when you're pregnant, yeah. you're going through so much yeah. crap. So so then to kind of give that responsibility, yeah. hand that over yeah. to your partner yeah. is great. Because it's yeah. like, you yeah, this is your job. Yeah.
1: I think it's brilliant for, like, every single party involved because it's like teamwork makes the dream work. That's why I said, like, you know, it's team effort to bring babies into the world. It's yeah. not just one person on their own. It's a, you know, team effort. And, um, you know, that extends, obviously, to the midwives that you have with you and, you know, the wider team. Um, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's a team effort. But... Um, I've kind of lost my track of my train of thought well, sorry sure, no no it's good I was
3: going to ask you about your, your, your second birth you your, your second son oh yeah um was the thing successful do yes you feel like absolutely that was more positive
1: yes birth? yeah absolutely I remember what I was going to say sorry so I think also birth partners like having a role right. sorry that's what I was going to say I think oh, okay. as well as uh, mums feeling like they're not alone there's a team effort I think birth partners like having actual practical things they can do yeah I think compared to feeling like I don't know how to support my partner, or and you're just watching your partner yeah. through this, and you don't know how to experience. help, and you're stroking her back, and you're like, What am I doing? Yes. I think um, birth partners like to know what they're doing.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, They can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans to get started visit plushcare.com slash loss. that's plushcare.com
1: slash weight loss but um yes yeah, second baby was it was yeah all the, well, the best day of my entire life um I planned a home birth I went into labor naturally spontaneously um uh, my midwife came over about three o'clock and she was just going to check in because my waters had broken, um, but labour hadn't really started. So she was just coming in to just check um, check on me. And then James had to go to get Oshin from school because it's like, you know, the three o'clock school run. And she said, I'll just wait here with Siobhan while you go to get um, Oshin. But she was about to go anyway. And she said, I think it will happen tonight, you know. So I kind of felt quite excited. But. Um, you know, felt like oh, hopefully tonight then. And then by the time James got back about 3:20, she said, "I'm not going anywhere now." Oh, really? um, and then he was born at 19 minutes past five. Wow! So, two hours 20 minutes, kind of start to finish. So quick, um, mm. but just the most um, incredible day of my entire life. I just what, what made it incredible? Oh, I just I was at home, so I didn't have to go anywhere. I was like in my space where I was comfortable. Um, I spent quite a lot of time standing up at the end of the like kitchen table and then I went into the living room and I went to the toilet a bit but I felt comfortable like just moving around my own home. That was really nice. Um, I gave birth on the sofa on all fours looking at the birth pool. So we were in this tiny little living room and there was a Christmas tree because it was Christmas and I should have just got a small Christmas tree because I knew that this was happening but I was like, no, let's go all out and get the big Christmas tree. (laughs) So the Christmas tree was taking up a third of the room and then there was this birth pool that James had spent the majority of the labour inflating and filling. That was like squashed up against the Christmas tree and then up against the sofa and then I was on the sofa and because it had been so fast there was not really the opportunity to, like, get in and use this pool. So right. that had been the plan. Yeah. But I basically gave birth looking at the pool that I, I should have been in. But <laughs> that was just funny. Um, and I just felt absolutely incredible. Like, the moment I gave birth and brought him up onto my chest, I just felt absolutely incredible, like a superwoman. I just mm. felt, like, high, like, the highest I've ever felt. I like, just absolutely euphoric, like, pure euphoria. And I've, like, never felt that good before or since. It was just... Absolutely incredible. Do you think it
3: felt better because you were comparing it to your first birth experience?
1: I don't know if I was actively comparing in that moment. I don't think so. I just felt, I don't know, I think it must have been hormonal. Like I hadn't had any drugs at all. I hadn't had any intervention. So, like, no interference. I didn't feel overly tired. I didn't feel, you know, depleted in the same way, I suppose, because it had been quite quick. Um, and it was daytime. So, it was like, I had had my night's sleep the night before. Um, I wasn't um how sometimes drugs can make you a bit like you know a bit removed from it mm. a bit hazy but I hadn't hadn't had any of that so I was completely present in the moment and I just felt like pure joy I just like felt absolutely elated that I had done it like I had done it and he was here and I just it was incredible and that feeling that that six weeks even that followed was like the happiest time in my life wow. where I know for a lot of women that time can be you know as I know from personal experience even with my first it can yeah. be a really difficult time yeah. but I just felt like in an absolute love bubble like it was just the best
3: That's so nice I'm so envious of
1: you time <laughs> of my life like I and I obviously I did not have that the first time around at all mm. and I just felt yeah so in love with with my baby um Arlo that was and so in love with just like everybody I just felt really in a really good place and so it was life-changing for me That's amazing. um not just on that day itself but afterwards you know and so um, I finished that Masters that I was working on and then decided that's what I want to do I want to be a hypnobirthing teacher because I feel like hypnobirthing is psychology it's the psychology of birth I knew that I wanted to work with people and have like that kind of sense of reward in my job like helping people So I then trained to become a hypnobirthing teacher just after that.
3: That's so cool. So tell me a little bit about um, the Positive Birth Company. That's that's the company that you founded?
1: Isn't yes, it? yeah. So I set that up in 2015. Um, and now I teach uh, classes in London, Devon, and Birmingham monthly group classes. But I hope that um, in time there'll be you can book with the Positive Birth Company and get classes you know all over the country. Hopefully, I won't be able to teach every single one of them, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully um, it'll be available. But um, at the end of last year, I, I um, having been teaching for a while, I made it my mission to make it more accessible for everybody, and that's something I'm really, really passionate about because, as I said, I was a really young mum. Yeah. When I had my baby, at first I would never have been able to afford to do any kind of private class. Yeah, there are
3: probably people listening who yeah. really like the same. Yeah, they're saying, absolutely. They're thinking there's no way that I can afford a whole like of birthing exactly. classes. Yeah,
1: it's the, it, you know there are thousands of women like that, and I think it is so unfair that something that has such a profound impact on your birth. And your postnatal mental health, and in your entire family, really. Um, why that should only be accessible for people who have, you know, more disposable income or things like that. You know, education should be accessible for all. And so it's something I'm, yeah, really, really passionate about. And um, it's not always down to money. Some people obviously just don't have a class available locally. Some people don't have time or childcare. You know, previous children that other children they haven't got childcare for to attend a class. I mean, there are so many barriers, but. Cost is definitely one of them, because most hypnobirthing classes are private, so they're they're expensive. They're not cheap, aren't they? They're not cheap. So what's your solution to this? So um, at the end of last year, I released a whole series of videos, free hypnobirthing videos on YouTube. Um, I think they've been, yeah, four four months ago that was, um, on my YouTube channel, which is the Positive Birth Company. So there's 11, and I cover all the techniques and things like that in really bite-sized videos. And I've had such an amazing response to those videos. Oh, Oh, it's just like the best thing ever, better than I had thought. Like I thought, oh, I hope these are helpful. But I wake up every day and get like these messages and DMs from people being like, I gave birth last night and it was the most incredible experience. And I watched your videos. I'm just like, this has exceeded like all my expectations. And so, and then people are asking for more, like, is there more? Can I find out about this, this kind of thing? So I thought I can do something about this. So I created the digital pack, which is what I've been working on for like the last few months, um, madly working on. And it's the whole hypnobirthing course that I teach um, in videos. There's 43 videos wow. in total, over six hours of video content. Um, all my MP3s that I've created, a course notes booklet that goes alongside it, birth preferences template for people to complete, and then access to this um, community online private Facebook group that I manage as well. And it's really affordable, isn't It's £35. I mean,
3: that's just crazy cheap yeah
1: it's the I think it's the world's most affordable and accessible that's my little tagline but I do think I actually think it's true having done my research That it's the most affordable and accessible way to complete a hypnobirthing program so that's it's amazing. all online as long as you've got wi-fi you can access it you can do it whenever wherever mm-hmm. with whoever for 35 pounds and I just really really hope that that means that it opens it up opens hypnobirthing up to as many women as possible because I do believe it gives you the tools to have the best birth possible and everybody every single woman deserves that and so that's my uh hopes hopes and dreams and you're working on a book as well aren't you yeah and so i'm writing my book um which i'm nearing the end of and again yeah hopefully that's another way of reaching more people and making it more accessible so what would you
3: say to um someone who's listening who um perhaps you know she's pregnant um and she's not totally convinced that she can have a positive birth maybe she's had a negative experience in the past or you know she's heard horror stories
1: from friends what would you say to her well i think doing a hypnobirthing course will massively help will massively help to help me personally and it's helped you know hundreds and thousands of other women as well so i would say if you're listening first of all just go and you know because people don't know about hypnobirthing perhaps or have like Of strange preconceptions about what it might be exactly, so yeah. So, people don't want to invest in something that they're not sure about. So, first of all, I say go and watch those free videos. You know, they're on YouTube, they're free, they're like five minutes, four minutes each video. Just go and have a look at that, and hopefully you'll see that what i'm talking about is very logical and really easy to do and then if you want to learn more then you know book a course not necessarily with me book a course with you know a teacher local to you mm-hmm. uh or with positive birth company or the online course you know, there are so many options um but do a course and it's going to help you it's going to help you come to terms with your previous experience it's going to help you understand that experience it's going to make you feel more confident about what you can do differently in the future um just feeling that you've got choice that you're in control that's really an empowering thought that you don't have to um you know if you've had a cesarean before, for example, you might choose to have a cesarean again, but this time it'd be done you know planned and a gentle cesarean so tell
3: me about gentle
1: yeah, or you might plan to have a vaginal birth you know, but I'm yeah. saying that you don't have to feel that you haven't got choice you've always got choice and that's a brilliant thing and so you it's possible for every woman to have a positive birth um what uh, gentle cesarean sorry so gentle cesarean in a nutshell is trying to emulate natural birth as much as possible but in a theatre because there are so many benefits that come with natural birth so um with a traditional cesarean they all do the incision and then pull the muscles apart to get the baby out quite quickly um traditionally they would cut the cord immediately so when the baby's growing inside a third of its blood is in the placenta at all times so when the baby's born it, it only has two-thirds of its blood in its body if you cut the cord immediately, the baby's been shortchanged its blood, essentially. Really? I didn't know that. And even though it will make up the volume of its blood over time, it will never make up the quality of the blood. Right. So there's been studies that have taken blood samples from four-year-olds and they can tell who had delayed cord clamping and who didn't. No. Yeah, and wow. they've linked that to um, emotional intelligence as well.
3: Really?
1: Yeah. Oh, So outrageous. it's hugely beneficial to have delayed cord clamping. It's in the NICE guidelines. It's the recommended best practice, yeah. but um, that's with natural birth. But sometimes in theatre that doesn't happen um and so traditionally they would just cut the cord immediately take the baby away weigh the baby do the paperwork and then mum would finally get baby back wrapped up in blankets with a hat on Mm. um So with a gentle cesarean, things are quite different. So the incision is done, and then baby is sort of helped out but allowed to come out itself. So it makes it. If you watch videos on YouTube, just go on YouTube um, search, like, gentle cesareans, you actually see these babies come out themselves. It's like I
3: cannot imagine that. It's
1: the closest thing to vaginal birth, but in theatre. And the baby's almost compressed as he or she kind of squeezes himself or herself. I say himself naturally. They've got three boys, that's all I know. But um, as they make their way out. And that is similar to being born as the baby comes down the vaginal a like birth canal yeah. they kind of get compressed and it helps to get rid of all the fluid in their lungs right. so that that can happen in theatre and then as baby's born the cord is left intact so that the baby has the opportunity to get his or her blood back and then baby's put straight up onto mum's chest so you can opt to not have the curtain in front of you so you can see wow. your baby and that really helps with the oxytocin so right. getting baby onto your chest immediately after birth Helps your body produce oxytocin, which reduces the risk of postnatal depression, helps with bonding, reduces blood loss, um, helps establish breastfeeding. So many benefits. So,
3: someone could just walk up to a midwife appointment and be like, I want a gentle cesarean. Or are they going to be like, What are you talking about? Yeah, so most
1: people now know what a gentle cesarean is. Lots and lots of hospitals specialise in it and they will offer that for women. But even if they don't, it's something you can ask for. You can certainly request that you have delayed core clamping and immediate skin to skin. Um, I should probably put a disclaimer, you know, if all being well with baby yes, obviously yes, if baby needed medical attention, then obviously this is not something that might be necessarily available to you. But if baby is well at birth, then yes. you can absolutely ask for delayed cord clamping and skin to skin, um, wherever wherever you are.
3: You mentioned placenta. Yeah. Um, do you offer a placenta encapsulation? Yeah, I do. You do talk yeah. about that.
1: So um, I had my placenta encapsulated with my third baby, and felt it was it made a big difference. Um, in terms of energy and things like that. That was what I noticed most personally was energy levels. So do
3: you want to explain what it is? Just in case Yes,
1: yeah, so wow. if you're listening, you're thinking, this sounds strange, what is this? Um, so after you've given birth, if you are having your placenta encapsulated, you would book for a specialist, a placenta specialist, to come and collect your placenta. They'd give you instructions beforehand as to what to do with the placenta, but essentially you need to keep it cool. So you would need to ask the midwife to put it into a kind of sandwich bag in a Tupperware box and into a cool box with ice blocks. Um, But the specialist would go through all of that with you and then they collect it and take it away. And then they prepare it. So to prepare it, they dehydrate the placenta, which retains a lot of the goodness. And then they grind it down into a very fine powder and then encapsulate it. So into little kind of vegetable capsules. So what you get back by day three, hopefully, it's a jar of capsules, um, which don't look or smell or taste like placenta. They're just like regular vitamin tablets. And then you take them. Yeah, yeah. And what to, are the benefits? The the, the benefits are um, increased breast milk, um, more stable mood, less likely to have postnatal depression, um, reduced blood loss after birth in that postpartum period, and increased energy, and... Um, a lot of the benefits are just based on women's testimony at the moment because there haven't been any kind of significant studies about the effect you know, effectiveness of having your placenta encapsulated. So it is all women's testimony. But, you know, if you go and look, the women that have tried it, generally all I've heard is good things. Yeah. So
3: That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, Siobhan, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Okay.
1: I've been listening to your podcast, so I'm feeling nervous now because <laughs> I've heard these quick fire questions. I'll be kind, I promise. Okay. Um, okay, so mum of, of three boys. Yes. Uh, By the time
3: bedtime rolls around, you are yeah. pretty knackered. Uh, what's your tipple of choice at the end of the
1: day? Oh, I've got a new one. Oh. Yeah, it's been gin for ages, but I've got a new one and it's margaritas. Oh. I've become, I've gotten really into them, a Fancy. margarita a day. So
3: do you... Do you Mix it yourself.
1: No, James does it. James does it all. I don't even know how to make them. Um, But I just, I don't even know what it was. I think my friend, um, I've got a friend, Antonia, and she posted a picture on Instagram the other day of a margarita, or like maybe it was a couple of weeks ago now. And I was just like, I just really want one of them. I was like, I just really want one. And I was working, trying to get this digital pack done. I was like, working, you know, pulling all nighters. And I said to James, I need you to go to the shop and get whatever it takes to make that margarita for me. And I was like, he's like, okay, but we don't have glasses like that. I was like, go and get the glasses. (laughs) (laughs) go and get the glasses
3: you have to just you know just replicate that that's what
1: I want and so I had my friend Chloe staying with me because we were both working on the digital pack and he came back and he made them for us and then she was staying for like three nights and every night we had one and I've just kept that up so I have I have my nightly margarita and I love it
3: that's amazing um who would your dream play date guest to be
1: play date yes I'm bad at play dates I think um what like a like a famous person or a friend or? Whoever? I really don't feel like I could pick. <laughs> oh, I do a lot. I do a lot of play dates um, with my friend Antonia, who I just mentioned. Right. Um, I like going around to her house because her house is like really. Um, her house is just. Ooh, her house is really um, cozy and lovely. And sorry, I'm just stopping because I can hear all that like noise behind me. Yeah, sounds sounds like, like sounds like the someone's there. trying to break into the room. Someone's drilling <laughs> in the room uh, <laughs> downstairs. Um, ignoring that. Uh, she's got a lovely house and it's just really relaxing and I just love being there so I like going over there and having tea and um, she's got two boys and that's good.
3: So as long as 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 long as you're happy drinking tea the boys yeah. can be off doing yeah. whatever they want. Yeah. I
1: think that's the key. I, I, I really like interiors as well right. but I've never had my own house so I've always just lived in rentals and at the minute I'm actually in my dad's house. He's not there but just temporary whilst we're trying to get our own house and so I'm just obsessive about interiors and I love looking at other people's homes and I just can't wait to have my own to be able to do that mm. but so I really love Antonia's style so I just like hanging out in her house and just being like oh it's so nice to be you know it's in that quite space it's nice being nosy isn't it going yeah. to your friend's
3: house yeah. just seeing what they what they've done with the place yeah. it's really good um and then final question what's your been your most embarrassing parenting moment
1: Oh, I've heard you ask this a few times. And so I was thinking about this the other day, actually. And I was like, I'm really struggling because actually some of the things that I think people would find embarrassing, I actually just find funny now. Oh, really? So I heard someone say about their child swearing. And yeah. like, I've got a swearer, the, the middle one. And he, um, but the f- funny thing is he started swearing. So saying fuck, like, no, wow, no, fucking two. He started saying oh. two. Right. And actually, we were the first time he said it, we were on a drive. We were driving to the Alps. So you go through these really long tunnels, like, you know, for miles, like 10 miles of tunnel. Yeah. And out of the blue, he we just went, fucking tunnel. It's like, what? So James and I, like, freeze in the front, just like, just ignore it. And he's like, fucking tunnel. I was like, what is he saying? And then. The 10-year-old in the back is wetting himself, obviously. So it just encourages him. So he then just starts shouting it and shouting it and shouting it and getting a bigger reaction from his big brother. His big brother wouldn't dare swear. Like, he doesn't even, you know, but... And him on, so I was just like, please stop, please stop. Boys, calm down, calm down. And they're, like, laughing. And then, obviously, the two-year-old has no idea. Like, it's bad. He just says it again. So, obviously, then afterwards, I had to explain to him. And I say, you know, we don't say that word. I thought that I'd really got the message home. Like, it's not a nice word. We don't say that word, Arlo. So, now, he just comes out with, we don't say fucking just like randomly like the postman will come to the front door and we'll open the door and he'll run around he go we don't say fucking well that's fine though because then whoever hears it knows that he's he has been the told right so i do feel like it, even though it's really bad that he's saying it i'm like but at least he's saying we don't say it. Yeah. So at least he's got, the, he's got the message, right? Yeah,
3: they can't judge too much.
1: But he still goes out in public and says this to a lot of people.
3: Listen, Siobhan, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, thank you for like, having me. I have learned loads. Hopefully the listeners have learned loads. And it's just been a delight to chat to you, so
1: thank you. I honestly thank you for asking me to come on your podcast. It's an absolute honour when you ask me, so thank you. <laughs>
3: you as always for listening i can't believe i've done 30 episodes now time has flown head over to itunes to uh, rate review and subscribe and i'll catch up with you next week with another guest